If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Patrice. Hi, Marleya. Hi, Courtney. Hi. Hi, Courtney. I had several things I want to talk about pre-show and don't have jack shit that I wrote down. So You didn't write it down. Oh, no. No. I've done that several times. Like my story, Mm -hmm. like when I decided on what I was going to do, I like had the perfect name. It had like a pun in it and everything. (laughs) It was great. I was like, this is great. And I'm like, I really should write it down. Then I was like, nah, it's so good. I'll remember it. Oh, that's never true. Never (laughs) true. I I should know better. I should know better. It's never true. I I, I still right now do not know what, what I titled it. That was so awesome. (laughs) That's so sad. It is sad. It's like, you know, my little flit of genius, genius, right? For the year. (laughs) It's gone. Mm. I'm sipping. Actually, I'm gulping. Yes. Because I'm going first, so I'm like, I gotta get my my rocks in before. (laughs) (laughs) This is good. It's pretty pretty smooth, huh? Mm -hmm. So I utilized the simple syrup I made last week since I still had like a pint of it. And it's the vodka. I mean, it, well, it's vodka. Yes. Vodka, vodka. It's vodka, vodka with the rosemary, lavender, simple syrup. Mm. With, uh, yeah, lemonade, vodka, I and totally vodka, and club soda. Mm. I oh, can taste. lemon juice. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I could taste the rosemary, though. A little bit. Oh, yeah? yeah? Mm-hmm. It's so I subtle. But I also brushed it's, my teeth before I came over here, so. Very subtle. I'm smelling the microphone like like it's there. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> Let me see. <laughs> Let me try the glass. Maybe it's stronger than I thought. <laughs> this is my first drink today, I promise. Wow. 6 p.m. 6.30. great. Oh, my God. I think I feel I like that. all of us have needed. So I, I always forget we're not recording when we release, but like we're currently recording on Labor Day weekend. And right. I feel, like, I feel like we're all in need of a, a three-day weekend right now, though mm. we probably aren't all allowed to enjoy a three-day weekend. Just so much work to do, right? Right. Yeah. No. It it really needs to be like a three day plus another summer weekend. <laughs> and, and then I think I would feel better. <laughs> I slept like almost twelve hours last night. Same here. Whoa. I have been exhausted. I haven't been sleeping well. I've just been you know, I've been struggling and I desperately needed it. I really, really needed mm, it because I, awesome. I turned on my little sleep sounds, Amazon rainforest. I put in my new bite guard since oh. I've cracked my damn teeth with oh, stress this year, shit. which is apparently a thing. Like my dentist said, Everybody's by the way, in. everybody has cracked teeth now mm-hmm. um, from like clenching and grinding and all that. Biting tongues. So I put my, my happy little night guard in. My little my little ear plugs, even though, you know, I wanted to listen to my rant. I was like, no stone unturned. Right. Everything is going to work for me. My fan's on high. Yeah, slept for 12 hours. It was awesome. And that is amazing. I, I 
can't remember the last time I slept. Oh, yes, I can. This summer. Mm. This summer when I didn't have a bedtime and didn't have a time I had to get up. That's amazing. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. But then 5.30 came. <laughs> oh, <School>. kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. So can you remember any of the other things you were going to talk about pre-show? I did notice that there is a new um, uh, French and Saunders podcast, mm. which I love French and Saunders, uh, Don French and Jennifer Saunders, Don French from um, the the vicar of dibley oh don french that's why i know that name yeah and jennifer saunders from AppFab. so they were like a um, female comedy duo in like the early 80s and i have every single like dvd sketch that they had used to like put out because they're fucking hilarious <laughs> and genius and they're back at it again and they have a podcast and i haven't listened to it yet but i'm like very excited about it um let's see what else i'm gonna have to look that one up that sounds amazing yes started watching what we do in the shadows oh, third season out? yeah it like yeah the newest episode came out on thursday I yeah think? there's two episodes up right now oh, okay but yeah i think they're doing like the weekly thing which is great but i can also hate because now you know it's like i wanted to binge it mm-hmm. this weekend and now it's like ugh. i know but it's okay it's okay Patience. it is a great binge show it is i'm, I'm just gonna re-binge i'm just gonna go through that's, the last two seasons and re-binge that's what i did that's mm-hmm. the writing is just genius did i tell you about wellington paranormal did we talk about that on because it's the same produ- producer, direct director, creator. Mm-hmm. Um, the it's just not as it's it's not it's not the same. Yeah, I mean it's funny. It has some... Well, the guy and I can't remember the name on the original movie. He was like one of the vampires. Him and um, is it Taika Waititi? Is that yeah? Who that's is? who it is. Mm-hmm. That's who it is. Uh, he also directed uh, Jojo Rabbit. Uh, yeah. Thor Ragnarok, mm-hmm. which was hilarious. It's like yeah. one of my favorite Marvels it is because it was so good. Yeah, it's the best one. It's definitely the best Thor movie. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So oh, it's a great show if you haven't watched it. Try what we do in the shadows. Really funny. Yes. <laughs> yes. And let's see what else. Um, nothing much uh, other than just thinking about the people who are dealing with the aftermath of Ida right now Uh, you know we have all of like southern Louisiana and then it went up and it flooded New York and several of uh, my husband's musician friends like all of their like equipment they usually or you know studios would be in their basements and a lot of musicians like lost like thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment and their livelihood because of basements being flooded and whatnot but luckily nobody was injured um it was just property damaged Mm -hmm. that we know of so we're thankful for that but that was just fucking weird mm-hmm. yeah it's odd that it seemed to like skip kind of through our i know we were supposed to get some I mean, we got a lot of rain but not even that much yeah not even that much wind i mean and uh and then that it kind of revived itself and just poured and dumped all over north of us right but they just, they're not gonna have power in parts of louisiana for a long time so be oh you know, yeah thinking of them and donating and... oh absolutely yeah any kind of um Ida 
Louisiana like recovery recovery fund assistance. Yeah, definitely. Because it's you know it's hot. It's hot as fuck down there, and mm-hmm. there's mosquitoes, and a lot of people are without water. Mm-hmm. Um, much less like air. Uh, food is scarce. I mean, it's just really it's a bad situation, and I like I really feel my heart goes out to them, and we'll be donating money to them to the relief fund. Oh Lord! I but, feel like we're gonna get up. I know, I know. I, mean, I know. these are sad things, and a lot of people died in the Northeast. It was yeah, a lot crazy. more. Yeah, a lot more than down south um, that we know of so far. Um, but let's see, one more thing that I was gonna talk about. Da, 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 da. You can do it. I don't. You can do it. I don't think know. hard. Think hard. It's not working. Okay, I Damn. give up. I don't really have anything at all. I don't. <laughs> think okay well i guess we'll get except that we were too drunk on episode 89 or something that you she looks at me like judgy now too she's like i I, so i was working on sound because our our dear friend jen's having to go through a surgery so she's kind of preoccupied right now so i was like you know what i'm bump myself in on 89 and work on that a little bit so i was listening to it and um I kept on going through it, and the further I got, the just more ridiculous Courtney and I started to behave. And then I, I want to be the judge of my own ridiculous. This was behavior. our old-fashioned episode, <laughs> and I was. But there were times when I was listening to it, and Patrice is telling this amazing, really cool story, and. There are moments it we did do the whole sound effects thing. Do you oh. remember that where we would just start like shooting stupid fart sound effects in the middle of what she's talking about? <laughs> and Kinda. then <laughs> And then uh, there were times when just I was I would rewind it three times because she and I would start cackling and I could not for the life of me figure out what it was we're laughing at. <laughs> it's just, but it's hilarious. Was, and it makes was, you laugh listening to was it. Was Patrice I mean, not laughing? Did there, were, there was this one time where you and I were laughing, but Patrice was just trying to like finish the sentence. You know? <laughs> but, I'm sorry. But I will say, and so now <laughs> Courtney's feeling like I'm trashing us, but and I'm not. I, it's a hilarious, it's a hilarious second half episode and a really cool story to boot. And, if you decide to become a Patreon, you can catch the after talk oh, from that show where Courtney tells a story about a, a cult like oh, place that I she totally visited. That was and I Google um, Star Trek porn on accident oh, yeah. and then read it to you. So oh, God, <laughs> it's not as it's not as juicy as the Bigfoot porn, but you know, I'm your very own sci-fi porn distributor. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that will be our next podcast. Yes, um, I can get started. Yeah, go for it. Are y'all ready for a story? So ready. So, uh, last time I started my first multi-part series. Yes, I remember. Kind of uh, about Bobby Dunbar, and so here's a little recap. This all comes from the book called uh, A Case for Solomon by Tal McThenia and Margaret Dunbar Cartwright. So in, in, in part one, Bobby Dunbar, four-year-old child from Opelousas, Louisiana, goes missing from his family trip. 
in August 23rd, 1912. You know, they were at the fish camp and the right. lake and he goes missing. So after months and months of reward offers and there's a media circus and all these false sightings and weird theories. And in April 1913, they get a tip from Mississippi about a boy that might be him who's been traveling around with a tinker named W.C. Walters. And so after they investigate it, you know, whether it's rigorous enough or not is up to you. Um, they decide that it's this boy. They kid they arrest Walters for kidnapping and then they and then the parents who have come to like, you know, look and examine the child, take the boy back to Louisiana before Walters witnesses, his lawyers witnesses, can come to corroborate his story that the boy is actually a little boy named Bruce Anderson. So that's where we left off. Right. The Dunbar parents have just kind of snuck away in the middle of the night with the kids saying, he's our kid. Too Later. bad. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> the reason that part is so important is because they cross state lines. Mm. So if the charge is for a crime committed in Louisiana against Walters, then they'll have to extradite to get him prosecuted because he's currently being held in Columbia, Mississippi. Right. So it's also important that there are these two rival, you know, all the newspapers in the area were on top of this 24 seven, but right. two main uh, newspapers called the item and the States were just kind of leading the charge with scoops and um, just, I don't know, crazy headlines. I mean, just trying to get, excuse me, as much readership as they could out of it. And they tended to kind of take opposing stances and go to sometimes pretty unethical lengths to grab the readership, you know, to get people's interest. A Nothing's lot of it changed. not journalism. I know. <laughs> nothing has changed. <laughs> These were not investigative journalists generally. Um, so here we are. The Dunbars are back first in New Orleans and then back to Opelousas. They kind of make a, a jaunt in New Orleans to stay and then move all the way back home. So, as they get back into Louisiana, there's all this fanfare. Every time they stop, they stop in New Orleans. There are parties in this child's honor. Um, in Opelousas, they let kids out of school early on the day he's supposed to come home. Oh, wow. There are ridiculous numbers of spectators, uh, townspeople, not just journalists, but people from the area. Right. Camped out from the train station to their doorstep. Um, it's the hot gossip. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, you know... <sighs> It's like everybody behaves like paparazzi. There's the 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 ownership that people show of this family is unimagined. I mean, there's a guy on the train that gets in the kids. This is a four year old child at this point. You know, getting close to five. Mm -hmm. he, the guy gets in his face. Somebody he's never heard of, never seen him in his life. Says, "Where is your mama?" Like thinking he's going to trick the boy into not being able to point to the right woman. Like nobody else has thought of that. You think, right. buddy, you think you're going to be the one that breaks this case with your like ingenious ploy to make the boy <laughs> point at a stranger. And it's like, he also just does not give a shit that these are humans. Right. And he's just like, Oh, you're a puzzle. I can solve you. And I'm going to be really popular. But it's like, it's almost like the precursor of the social media armchair, you know, conspiracy theorists. Mm -hmm. Just like, I'm sure this one bit of information is something scientists have never considered. Overlooked. Before. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, they have to, when they're getting off the train and taking him places, they have to physically fight people off from trying to take the boy out of their arms. Like people who have never seen him before are reaching up to kiss him and pet him and, and actually grab him. And um, that's how crazy people are being about this. People are wacko. So <clears throat> if you want to get into like the, the whole reads on this, 
check out this book for sure. I'm not going to get into all of it because it can get really frustrating to read how many physical examinations, how many oh, interviews, no. how many back and forth that they have. He'll, and in all of the clues, and the book does a great job of setting it out, like each and each little time he recognizes someone, you know, a playmate says, oh yeah, that's Bobby who we used to play with. I mean, there are all these little recognitions and things that happen and, and it lays them all out, you know, but it's where there's one on one side, there's always something else that counteracts it. So, you know, he'll recognize somebody, but then he'll like cry when he sees a family member that's supposed to be his favorite or, right. you know, he'll be really aloof with his parents and, you know, hold them at arm's length or get really upset and um, the Dunbars say, well, he's traumatized, which oh, there's duh. no way he's not, regardless right. of what his situation actually was. He's clearly got to be traumatized now. Right. Um, but they say, you know, every day we get a little bit more of our boy back. Every day he remembers a little bit more. And um, so he starts saying things about the time. You know, at first he's completely mum about the eight months where he was gone. You know, he'll he kind of starts to talk a little bit about things he might remember, but he's never said anything about when he was with Walters. And so he finally starts to do that. He talks about like, I remember when we stayed in a tent, I remember when we got in this dirty old train car and it kind of gives an explanation that he made him change clothes. And that's where his straw hat went like that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of what he says, when you read what he, what his actual quotes are, whether they're quotes or not, you know, they're from newspapers that are notorious for making parts of this up. Right. But um, you know, they all sound very leading. Like if you ask a four-year-old child, oh, was there anybody with you here and there? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not necessarily, you're not necessarily talking to a reliable witness of his own you right. know, experience even right. at, at four. Um, but he does tell about whippings and, you know, they've, they've had several people who've talked about how Walters would whip the child or beat the child. But um, I mean, I mean, come on, everybody did back in then. I and mean, there was a, there was a, a couple different people who wrote anonymous letters over the course of this whole thing that knew him, um, knew his family and said like, this child deserved to be, he needed to be punished for right. his behavior like this is a bad child which you know i don't i i don't ascribe to that myself but um, right well but we know better in the nowadays beginning, like, he was he poorly was, behaved he was obeyed all the time yeah yes exactly like, he was always a wild child testing yes. them and yeah mm -hmm. not complying and so um mm -hmm. pushing boundaries he was yeah. pushing boundaries um he starts to call walters the mean old man or the man who was my papa <laughs> Um, <laughs> but he said at one point that Walters has told Walters had told him that his real papa had killed his mama and thrown her in a creek or stuck what? her in a stump hole. What? This coming out of a four year old's mouth. And so they're like, this is this kid has a dark. And there was one time where he's playing with other kids in Opelousas, and um, you know they're having this this revelatory kind of day where he's making all these. Uh, making all these realizations and everybody's really happy and everything. And then they overhear him like basically like tying one boy's hand behind his back with a little fake rope and like telling him that he's going to go out and get a whipping. And because like, this is oh, obviously, yeah. you know, where he's kind of come from. Um, newspapers are like down to reporting on every bath he has. There are people mm. always looking in the windows. They never get away from the press or the photographers. It's nuts. So um, you know, while they're still in New Orleans, before they go back to Opelousas, just on the way home, um, the States, the newspaper arranges a shopping spree at a department store 
this poor kid overwhelmed with everything and they throw open the doors of this department store and all these people are here to serve him and get him <sighs> new clothes and all he wants to do is like go home right anywhere anywhere right. home and um you know they they talk about what a bad kid he is because he chooses a suit that he wants them to buy and he won't let them change his clothes this kid has been stripped in public every time he turns around because they're always doing these stupid physical examinations and he's like just whatever you do don't make me don't make me do this here it's right. like i don't want to and well if you've ever like had to change like oh a God, four or five year old that's yours anyway and yeah just, who's yeah. not traumatized Who, by it right exactly so um but the you know the item paper reports that you know even through some of his his ride home and all of this stuff when he was asked his name sometimes he said robert and sometimes he said bruce ah. so you know it's it's They've... far from a done deal right um meanwhile so in columbia mississippi where walters is in jail his friends and family have finally arrived so you might remember they had the lawyers had called all these people from pearl river pearl river mississippi mm -hmm. who he said could corroborate his claim that he had this child before bobby dunbar was even kidnapped and they got stuck in weather and couldn't make it before the dunbars took the kid away so they finally got here and um two of them jeffta and matilda bilbo they're an elderly farming couple they look older than they are um they're skinny late 50s um kind of grizzled he is but they're very friendly kindly people um so dale and rawls the lawyers um walter's uh, defense lawyers say i'm so sorry they've already taken the child we don't have anyone here for you to identify um but he figures the they figured the best they can do is to kind of gather a crowd and let these folks talk and see if they can get some public opinion on their side just by hearing their story so what they say is um walters has boarded at the bilbo's house on and off for several years and like we said he's a traveling tinker he's never there for long periods of time they say he stayed the friday before the third sunday in july of 1912 which would have been three weeks before um bobby dunbar was kidnapped or or whatever mm -hmm. bobby dunbar disappeared and that when he stayed that time he had a boy with him named bruce um his stays were sporadic during that july stay they stayed there about two weeks with the bilbos then he went away for a couple weeks and then he left the boy with the bilbos while he went to charity hospital in new orleans for a procedure that he had to have he had to stay at the hospital for a month and they had the child the entire time this couple did and they went to church with him they did they took care of him they bathed him they clothed him they fed him they knew this boy right um and he even called Matilda grandma when he was there. Um, so Dale and Rawls tracked down a photo of the mystery child that um, was taken in, in uh, Columbia before the parents, before the Dunbars took him away. And um, they look at it and they say, that child is Bruce. <clears throat> the child in the reward posters, which they hold up to them to look at, that is not Bruce. Right. And Matilda even says Bruce had a swelling on one toe that had gotten infected when he was staying with them for that month and had nearly, the infection had nearly killed him. No, oh, wow. And so they'd had to care for him through that. But the Dunbars are always talking about this toe scar being one of his huge identifying features because he had stepped in, you know, burning ash when he was a baby. And now it shows, well, he might have actually had a scar from a different experience. Um, 
But they end up with nearly 50 people in Pearl River who are willing to corroborate this version of the story, Walter's story. Um, and this becomes enough for the governor of Mississippi to refuse to extradite him. Um, so all this time, the newspapers have been racing each other for exclusive coverage of Julia Anderson, who is supposedly Bruce's mother from North Carolina. Because the story had gone, Walters had said he had he had gotten the boy from a woman in North Carolina and he'd given her name and, um, you know, that 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 he never was more specific. I had gotten the boy from her was a little weird. Yeah. Um, but tracking her down was really hard. Um, the lawyers couldn't reach her by telegram. She supposedly lived in Barnesville, North Carolina, which is like kind of the mountains area. It's um, near the South Carolina border. There are less than 100 people in that town. And there were no phones. There was no phone service. There was hardly any telegram facility. So this North Carolina newspaper man drives down with the sheriff and finds Julia at a farm where she has a job. And he writes a cover story <clears throat> after talking to her briefly. He And this is some of what he said. She is a woman of loose character and has Ugh. been in the county jail on a charge of adultery. And he describes her as stout and well-preserved. So, you know, clearly the papers are not like leaning towards they're unbiased on right? One, right yeah but um so she gives an affidavit and um about her whole you know how she knows walters and who this child is well and i just got this really big yeah. book that she's like flipping I'm through flipping right through now this book how to find this find affidavit. Like i that. know i was I've thinking written, a bookmark i've written notes on every page so that i can track where I am is the only way I can do this. <laughs> so like, um, she says that William Walters left Barnesville with my son, Charles Bruce in February of 1912, saying he only wanted to take the child with him for a few days to visit his sister, um, Walter's sister. <clears throat> she said, I have not seen the child from that day to this. I did not give him the child. I just told him he could take him for a few days because they had been together at someone else's house and the child loved Walters and wanted to go wherever he went. Um, she said, my name is, um, my, my son's name is Charles Bruce, born December 18th, 1907 in Fork, South Carolina. She tells where D.B. Walters is not the father of that child. He was born before I ever saw Mr. Walters. Um, the, she said, Jim Cowan, a shoe drummer is the father of the boy. I knew Cowan in Cerro Gordo, North Carolina. I was working at a hotel. He paid me $5 for the child. I have not seen him since, and I do not know where he is. Um, and she said, I know, I would know my son if I were to see him, which is an intentional dig at these right. Dunbars. Right. And I'm sure he would know me, and I'm willing to go anywhere to identify him. She says he has no marks upon his body by which he could be identified. He had a small red speck when he was three in the corner of one eye, but then that speck disappeared. She describes his hair and his eyes. And um, so, you know, she she very clearly kind of puts herself in in the way of this kind of Dunbar idea that these are, this is her child, this is their child. Right. Um, but the fact that she says Bruce had no identifying marks is cited immediately as proof that she has to be absolutely wrong because the Dunbars have pointed out all these moles and all these marks and this scar and all the stuff. And this boy has all those. Um, and one doctor, but you know, one doctor even said different examinations, as many as he's done, they all sh had different opinions of what a mark these, was. Yeah, what a mark is. Is it a mole? Is it just a, a pimple? 
and he was gone for so many months. Right. God knows what marks he would have had after. Exactly. Right. And um, so Percy reads about this affidavit in the paper. Percy Dunbar is uh, the, the father of the missing child and says, if Julia Anderson is coming to Opelousas to look at this boy, she's welcome, but it doesn't make any difference about her. This boy is mine and I'm going to keep him. And I'd just like to see anybody try and take him from us. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, it, it's similar to what he said when he took the boy out of Louisiana. He's just like, I have decided this is over now. This right. is my child, and I don't care he's what you like, say. He's tired of fucking with it. Yeah. It's like right or wrong. This is happening. So the item newspaper pays for Julia's train fare to get her to Opelousas to see Bobby Dunbar, to see this missing child who's going by Do- Bobby Dunbar. Um, just like there were people on the train harassing him when he was you know on his way back there are hecklers on the train who got on the train and paid fare just so that they could harass this woman on her way down to louisiana there's one starts yelling in the middle of the train a rumor that she killed her youngest child herself because she didn't want children you know they've all made these like broad moral judgments on her just from reading one story in the paper and and she looks she's a mount i mean she's a sturdy lady she's taller she's a mountain woman she's, she's, she's not a frail a little woman. yeah she's a working woman right she doesn't look like the you know it, i can show you some pictures from the book but she does not look anything like Leslie dunbar who looks very very frail and honestly looks very poorly <laughs> in right. these pictures um she's gone she goes through all this she's never been this far from home before on top of everything else and now she's had all this stuff dumped on her. She's had to drive. She had to ride a train for however God knows how long it took her to get there. She's been yelled at the entire time. So she finally arrives in tears and completely exhausted. And when she arrives, she has to move from house to house because the item is trying to avoid other newspaper reporters and paparazzi. So they keep on moving her because they keep on getting tipped off where she's staying and they want to keep their scoop. So, um, they finally get her into the house of the parents of a reporter of theirs named Ethel Hudson. This is the first female reporter who's been asked to tell her story at all, or really, I think, any of this. Um, Hudson is the only one who bothered to ask her about her history and listen to what she had to say. So they stayed up all night talking, and she finds out Julia's father, George, was a tenant farmer, just one step above a sharecropper. Her mother's name was Obedience. She went by Beatty. Julia was one of 15 kids. So Jesus. she had almost no schooling. At 19, she married a 27-year-old son of a widowed neighbor. His name was Elisha Floyd. And the day after they got married, he fucking shot her in the foot. What? And her own, her only like motive that she could say was he was just crazy. It sounds like a lot of fucking people are crazy, but you know. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So she stayed with him for five months, trying, trying. And she was pregnant when she finally gave up and ran. But she lost that baby. She got a job waiting tables at a hotel in Saragorda, just like she said in her affidavit. She met a shoe salesman named James Cowan. He had come to the restaurant several times a week because he had business in and out and he would ride the train. And they, she ended up basically turning tricks for him. Right. Um, and so there's this other thing that I just had to read about this part because... It's so, I don't know, it just really encapsulates how this happened to people because the moral judgment on her was such a big part of why this went the way it did. Um, There was a woman um, in Illinois in 1916, there was a um, state Senate committee hearing on vice and there was a waitress who gave this statement. She said, you wait on a man and he smiles at you. 
You see the chance to get a tip and you smile back. Next day he returns and you try harder than ever to please him. Then right away he wants to make a date and offer you money and presents if you'll be a good fellow and go out with him. For my work in the restaurant, I got $3 a week and my meals and a few dimes each day and tips, just enough to pay my room rent and my laundry. If I didn't pick up a little money on the side, I'd have to go naked. And um, Julia kind of said later on, I was a woman in hard luck a long time in my life. It was that or worse. And I just had to live. Yeah. So she really had no choice. Yeah. A lot of women didn't have any choice. And Yeah. And that was a really common story. Right. And, and you know, they were always the ones that got shit on right. for it. Right. Even though they were the ones that had no choice. So she ends up getting pregnant with Cowan's baby. She names him Charles Bruce Anderson. North Carolina criminal code says that if a mother has a child out of wedlock, if a single mother has a child and won't testify to the name of the father, then she will be liable to pay a $5 fine or go to jail on a charge of bastardy. So that's why he gave her $5 for the kid in her affidavit. She said he paid me $5 for the child is so she didn't have to pay the bastardy fee Ugh. or give his name. Ugh. And so yeah, um, I can't even. With these I people. know. So this woman has had shit for life and is still managing. You know, she says, I've hunt I haven't hunted him up. I've not asked for him. What does a man care about a woman after he causes her ceaseless trouble? He left me to fight it out alone, and I've been fighting alone ever since. And now she's in the middle of this shit show. Mm -hmm. So Ethel Hudson, this reporter, writes a pretty empathetic coverage based on this conversation that they have. But before it hits the papers, the States runs an interview with Julia, an interview that they never had because she's been sequestered the entire time since she's been in their area. So they made up an entirely false interview and ran it before the item could print their actual interview with her telling her story. And they created like they put in fake North Carolina mountain dialect in there and said just made to agitate the situation. One of the quotes was, if they don't treat me square, they'll be sorry, which is not something she ever said or would have said. So. The dialect that they add oh my God. during these times. Oh, my God. It's oh like watching God. an episode oh of the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, it is the worst. <laughs> like... It is the worst. So uh, she gets to the Dunbar's house for this identification that she is here for. But they bring her, like, before sunrise in the morning. It's her 29th birthday. It happens to be. It's May 1st, 1913. It's her birthday today. And she is still exhausted from travel. They kept her up all night talking. All these interviews, people yelling at her. She's got a throbbing headache. And um, she's been crying all night long. So she gets into this house and there's a committee of six men. Bankers, Mother physicians, fucker. lawyers, and a judge to oversee it. You need to... Okay, I'm done with this story. I know. I know. Just, I know. <laughs> is it going to kill you? I'm feeling... Sorry. Go so ahead. she goes through multiple rounds of interviews and she hasn't even seen him yet. I'm sorry, but this gets rough on her. So instead of bringing the child, which she thought they were just going to bring him for her to say, is this your child or not? They bring in multiple children who are not him into a dining room for her to say, is this your child or not? Like they're trying to make it as absolutely impossible for her as possible. Her hands are shaking. She's at the end of their rope. They take her in and she sees two boys and she examines them really carefully. And she says, neither of these are my child. Um, but then she hears somebody clap in the hallway and yell, she failed to recognize the child because there's somebody out there 
basically barking to all these reporters outside about all the details of what's going on in. Well, this person didn't get the memo that the child was actually not in the room. So she hears that she has failed. And it gets even worse because she's like, oh, my God, am I wrong? I'm like, she's looking mm -hmm. at them again, like, was one of these my kid? And I'm how, how could I mess this up? And um, somebody who's behind the scenes, there's all these people outside the room that are kind of listening in and peeping in through the, you know, keyholes and stuff. But somebody actually has some mercy on this poor woman and brings this child in question into the room for her to see. Unfortunately, Percy Dunbar and a bunch of reporters like follow into the room behind him and they lock the door. The child is, you know, he's always kind of distraught. He's a bit of a dick, this little boy. And he's fighting and he doesn't want to be carried around. So he's already in a really pissy mood. Um, she looks at him and she calls him Bruce. And he like just glares at her. And then looks back to where he knows Lessie, who's been telling him for, you know, since he got back, is his mom behind this closed door where he knows she is. He's been coached. He's been coached. Mm -hmm. And so Julia's just head and hands in tears already. Some papers said she offered her, him money, you know. I mean, like, they, they really are stretching to make her into the absolute worst person. She finds a piece of fruit that she has in her bag, like an orange, and she offers it to him finally. And he claps and takes it. And she said, do you see that? This is a game we used to play. He would clap and I would give him fruit. And um, after a while um, with him, they say, is this your child? And she is looking and she finally goes, I just can't say. And then, you know, by now she's just, she just can't really deal because this is a rough, I mean, this is, this is yeah. awful. Yeah. The committee then comes back and starts to assault her with more questions about Walters and about, so she has to go through an, an interview all over again. And they, you know, she finally says, you know, she, she's kind of talking almost, um, it's almost like she's hallucinating at this point. She's just saying words and, and speaking speaking her thoughts out loud, but she's like, well, my child didn't have any identifying marks. And they say that this child does. And she's like, I, I just, I have to find my Bruce. I can't rest until I find him. And because she says it like that, they take that as an admission that this is not her Bruce and, um, and that they're done, you know, that she has to look somewhere else for her child. And at that moment, Lessie walks in with the baby and says, I am, this child's mother and this is the child and you cannot take him from me you didn't recognize him and he's mine so they rush julia out to the boarding house where she's staying you know she cries all night and then they come to her and say well we're going to give you another chance and they bring her and the boy out into a yard of a neighbor's there's no committee there this time they're outside it's much more relaxed um he and his brother, or well, his supposed brother, his little Alonzo, are both in the yard. And somebody tries to trick her again and ask to pick which one. And she's like, it's the one with the goat. Uh, I mean, he's not even the right age. The other one, don't be a dick. Right. And, um, be a dick. And so she picks, you know, the right child. And then she asks him to come to her. And he flat out refuses intentionally over and over again. Because I really do think you're right. I think 
I think he has been coached by these parents over and over again to say no to whoever else might come. I think whether it's intentional or not, they have trained him to do this. Mm -hmm. And he's also a badly behaved, naughty child. Right. You know, plays, I think maybe is a little more manipulative than maybe some four-year-olds based on some of this. There's another physical examination. She ends this meeting much more calmly saying, gentlemen, I believe from the bottom of my heart that this is my child. But um, there's a judge there who comes up and starts arguing with her, you know, about the marks and everything. She says they're little marks. He could have gotten them after he left me. And Dunbar finally says, I'm done with this foolishness. We're not going to play this game anymore. The item takes Julia back to the train to send her home. Because all of this is being done basically at the mercy of the press. None of this is legal procedure. You know, I mean, like there's there's nobody there who can really make the determination whether this is her child or not. There right. is nobody who can legally do that here. Right. And so um, they send her home. They, there are rumors that somebody in town has threatened violence against her if she stays. That's how into this story everybody has been. Um, a couple of the papers have the sense to point out that the child didn't warm to Lessie either. If you remember when he first met her, he screamed fucking bloody murder. And that that is not a way to judge. And um, but generally the rest were set up against her. And even if they considered that he might have been her child, they said, well, what kind of a life would he have there? Why would you take him away from this posh, lavish place and send him with this like rude mountain woman? So she basically got written out. And um, and there were there was somebody who an editorial in the States was just really an asshole and said, Animals don't forget, but this big, coarse country woman, several times a mother, she forgot. She cared little for her young. Children were only regrettable incidents in her life. And, you know, so much of this hinges on memory. And, like, he's saying, oh, you forgot your child. And this, like, judgment on women who are mothers for not recognizing a child eight months unseen or more. And... um it's interesting because yesterday we were in the car, we were listening to a hidden brain podcast and it was about memory. And one of the, it was all these, um, these scientific studies on how memory is created and how effective or accurate it can be. And some of their findings said, you know, all of our memories are reconstructed. There's nothing accurate in your head. It's just some of your memories are more accurate than other ones. And they, they talked about like when people are told a story and they're asked to retell a story. Um, over time, they don't just forget indiscriminate details. The things they forget are the things that are unfamiliar to them. So if you tell someone from one culture a story from another culture and ask it to be retold multiple times over a long period of time, the things that drop out are the things that are identi like identifying things for the other culture that, that they're not familiar right. with. And then they replace those things with things that they are familiar with. Right. So... Um, they basically recreate their memory based on what they already know. Right. Like, to, yeah, it's to, from your perspective. Your yeah. memory is from your perspective. And your brain wants to limit your cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. And so it wants things to fit together right. nicely. Yeah. And so if you show, one of the other things was if you show someone a picture of themselves photoshopped into a hot air balloon, they generally begin to believe that they were actually in the hot air balloon. And they start to remember actual like visions that they saw while they were there and maybe who might have been with them. they can they can start to have memories that they never had hmm. just by seeing a photo of themselves in a in a situation that they were never in 
And they also had an experiment where people were shown videos of a car accident and were later questioned about it. And if the questioner asked at what speed the cars smashed one another, people would respond with memories of higher speeds than if the questioner asked what what speed the cars bumped one another. Yeah, I, th- I think I read somewhere like eyewitness accounts are the worst. They're the most absolutely. Yeah, and it unreliable. also impacted like whether the subjects remembered seeing broken glass on the ground. If they used the word smashed, there was always glass on the ground. But if they used bumped, there wasn't, and there was no glass on the ground in the pictures of the videos. So imagine these findings in the context of women who are trying to recognize a child. Like being an adult and, and having pictures and the pressure and everybody the more yelling events too, and the less prob- reliable the memory. I right. Bet. Yeah. You know, There's and people do, that. people say like, you know, if you get robbed, surely you're going to remember the eyes mm-hmm. of that person. And I was like, how would you, you're in a fight or flight response. How could you remember yeah. that? Mm-hmm. So, you know, just how absolutely unreliable memory is. And yet they expect these two women, both of them to be infallible in their memory of this child, just by dint of the fact that they're holy mothers. You know, it's just because motherhood is the sacred thing and it makes you something different than every other person in the world. And it's just not. Mm-mm. And it's so unfair mm-hmm. that, you know, in this situation, you know, they didn't have really anything else to go on. But because there were all of these voices yelling all of these things at them all the time, they basically made it impossible for this child to have any idea who he was. Right. And, um, So, you know, like I said, none of these schemes are done in a court of law. There were more attempts to, you know, to get the child identified. Dale and Rawls actually did finally get approval for the Bilbos and the other Pearl River people to come see Bobby also. And all of them knew him instantly when they got in the room with him. And he um, he actually knows some of them and calls them by name when they get in the room with him and smiles at them. The Bilbos, who had kept him for a month when he was sick, even actually love this child like they haven't come just to be part of a media circus or to identify him they they came to see him right because Worried they about loved him. him yeah and um matilda you know she she said that you know she basically she she's just a sucker for kids and from the second she saw him she grabbed him from walters and she hugged him and kissed him and she got him dressed and she bought him new things she just she adored this kid and he remembered her um, and all the people from o- from Pearl River stood 100% firm in their story about the timing. It never changed. It's consistent with what um, Walters has been consistently saying from jail, that this is Bruce, and Bruce was with Walters at the Bilbo Place in the fourth Sunday of July in 1912. And um, so there was a, a, a moderator named Parker who was supposed to be, he was partial to the Dunbars and already believed that Everybody from Mississippi was a, a false witness, basically. But he was the person who was in charge of this last round of identifications. Um, he grills every single witness from Mississippi on dates and says, there's no way you remember that you saw the child on that particular day. But they all consistently say, yes, we do. And Jeff the Bilbo said, listen, we had a church organ out of fix. We had a baptizing on the fourth Sunday of July. And we got the old gentleman Walters to fix the organ. And he had the organ ready by the fourth Sunday in July. And I'm like, this Parker dude must not have been from around here because that's the most accurate date telling thing that you could get from from Jeff the Bilbo. I mean, he remembers exactly because the church always has baptisms on the fourth Sunday of July and he knows that they needed to get the or I mean, it's like it's extremely accurate. Mm -hmm. 
And he's just like, nope, I doubt your dates. There's no way you could remember. So he says, nope, it's Bobby Dunbar. One more person just like throwing his completely not legal opinion. But, um, and I'm not, I, I, I may say more about this in the after show, but there are these ridiculous theories that Percy comes up with to kind of make up for these, these inconsistencies. He starts saying that there were two boys, both were stolen, that, that Walters swapped for some for whatever reason, I don't know that he's part of a kidnapping ring. Oh my god, the conspiracy theorist. I know. Fuck them. And oh um, my god. So meanwhile, though, Dale and Rawls have gathered up more than a hundred witnesses who are willing to say what the Bilbo's and Walters have said, and they're preparing for court, which is a good thing because the governor finally grants extradition, and Walters is going to have to go to trial. So that's what we'll have to talk about next time. Fuck. But man, can I, this is insane. Oh, this pisses me off so this bad. This story is insane. Yes. All right, let's take a break. All right, thanks. Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. Welcome back. Welcome back. Oh, man. That's like <clears throat> four lifetimes ago, it feels like. <laughs> we had a very lively discussion about these fuckwads. <laughs> More last story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping it gets better as I read longer. Okay. Okay. So now for something completely different. Woohoo! Woohoo! Um,. I ran across this article in BuzzFeed that... That's a you, great place to start. It's a great place to start. Um, Marley and I did an interview w- with the Women of Podcast... Women Who Podcast. Women Who Podcast mm-hmm. uh, magazine. And she kept asking us about, um, like, how do you get your stories? Like, you know, how do you plan for your stories and blah, blah, blah. And we're kind of like, plan? <laughs> <laughs> It just comes organically. It's like whatever Organic from was a big word for you. Then. Yeah, it was. I was like, dude, it's like I'd plan nothing. Right. We do everything organically. It's like things come from the ether and just like expose themselves to us. Wow. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> a picture of a little alien. What am I missing? <laughs> so we get flashes, right? And that's that's how this came about. It actually was, um, you know, in my news, one of my many news feeds, and um, it was talking about, you know, weird shit people see while driving. Mm. And so this got me to think because, you know, I've shared with you, you know, some of the strange stuff that's happened to me, um, you know, in my life. 
but I don't think I've shared with you like the strange shit that's happened to me while I was driving. Oh my God. And this is, you know, Mississippi girl driving Mississippi roads back, you know, roads and what. Are what you not. sure? Because if not, I think I've recreated a memory of this. Somehow. Oh my God. <laughs> Maybe it is oh. somewhere. <laughs> Let's find out. I don't know. Did I tell you about this? Tell it, tell it, tell it. Okay. So if. Uh, maybe like maybe I've already recorded this. Like I, Mothman I, stuff. I, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. Okay, if no, I, I don't remember details, I'm like. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I have always loved to drive. Like I grew up, you know, the first thing that I, I drove was like when I was five or six was like the tractor. Like I I could drive a tractor when I was like five or six, Ooh. and then pretty soon after that, um, my parents had a green uh, rabbit. Volkswagen mm -hmm. and it was stick shift and like by the time I was like I don't know 10 11 I was they were they were teaching me how to start driving oh that God, so I'm so jealous I like but I was like that's what I wanted to do I wanted to drive because I've always had just compulsion just to leave so I've been feeling it a lot lately <laughs> <laughs> and so as soon as I could get my driver's license, like the day mm -hmm. that it was like legal for me to get my driver's license, I was getting my driver's license. And when I had my driver's license, it's like the whole world opened <laughs> up to me. And it's like, I could just like hear my mom going, yeah, let us know where we're going the whole time. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, 15 years old, would get in that car and I would just, you know, put the music on. And go pick up my cousins mm -hmm. and just drive. And that's in the 80s. That is That was the main source of entertainment in yeah. small town Mississippi is like picking up your friends, um, grabbing some wine coolers, <laughs> and just driving the Hitting road, the smoking cigarettes, yep. 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 you know. Familiar, familiar, same. Um, you know, and just like hours and hours on the, like every back road we knew. And, um, a lot of this, like just the need to drive, um, I mean, I love driving. I hate driving now, but <laughs> I love driving back then, you know, because it was not, it was the journey. It wasn't a destination. It was definitely the journey. So when I started reading some of these, uh, start to remember a lot of stuff that, you know, you know, the three-legged lady road, yeah. you know, was a big thing. Although I don't think I really ever saw anything. Um, that was pretty much just, you know, well, we drove out there. You saw how spooky as shit it was mm -hmm. out there. I mean, it's it doesn't spooky. even, you don't even have to see anything to be like totally creeped out. Yeah. Um, but I did remember some things that happened and um, I don't know if like it was divine intervention or I have some sort of extra sensory or something, but there's several times that uh, things happened on the road where I'm like, I really should be dead. Mm. And one of those times, um, I'm pretty much a, I'm a very safe driver. I'm a granny driver. <laughs> I use my signals. I'm always in the right lane. Right you, spot on uh, the speed limit. Well, I'm used, I don't go like above seven miles per hour over the speed limit. Mm -hmm. um, and what I like to do is I like to try to find the sweet spot when I'm driving in between like the two crowded packs of cars that are trying mm -hmm. to race each yeah. other. <laughs> and so I will like, I'll adjust my speed accordingly so that nobody is around me and I'm staying between like the two groups of people. And, you know, I've always been that way. And I remember in college, um, it was, I think I was, 
my boyfriend at the time lived in Starkville and I was in Columbus and I think I'd already transferred over to Mississippi State. So I was commuting from Columbus to Starkville to go to Mississippi State. And um, I was driving back home. It was pouring down rain and my windshield wipers uh, were, I don't think I ever changed. Like I didn't know to change windshield mm-hmm. wipers, you know, cause they were just kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. And so they're like going, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and all of a sudden the one on my driver's side like flies off. Oh my God. So it is pouring down rain. There is nobody on the road. And I'm on like this highway between um, Columbus and Starkville and it's pitch black. There's no like, there's no lights on the road. It's rural highway pouring down rain. I can't really see much in front of me. My Now I can, can't see shit, yeah. you know? So I like had to roll down my window. I slowed down, rolled down my window and like kind of stuck my head out a little <laughs> bit just so I could see, yeah. you know, in front of me. And I'm doing probably about 45, 50, you know, because there's nobody on the road. And I'm like, you know, I can see my mom always told me, like, if you can't see, always look for the white on the right side of the road and just, you know, keep on that. And so that's what I was doing. I was driving by the white, Um, you know, no lights going past me, uh, no lights behind me or in front of me or anything like that. But I'm I'm doing this. and I'm like, I'm really like pissed off. Because, you know, of being wet and stuff. But I'm like, I had this feeling. I was like, you know what? I need to get in my left lane. So I'm like, I just like go over to the left lane because nobody's around. And as soon as I do that, um, this truck, this 18-wheeler was on the side of the road. (gasps) And his back end was in the right lane. And he had like the little triangle things, you know, around him. But it was like, it happened like that. It's like, as soon as I like decided to go to the left side of the road, all of a sudden I look up and I see the truck and I'm passing him and and I'm like, holy shit. I would have fucking like nailed him if I hadn't had like that thing of like I need to be over in the left lane and I couldn't see him it's not like I caught a reflection or anything like I literally thought I was by myself in the dark um and that's just like that has always kind of freaked me out so I always attribute that to some kind of like divine intervention something like made me switch and that is not the only time that that's happened I had another time um it was coming from Starkville, going to Columbus, and I was behind an 18-wheeler, and I was getting in my left lane to pass him, but he was still kind of ways ahead of me, and he was over in the right lane, and so I'm going, okay, I'm going to pass him, and all of a sudden, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get back over in the right lane. It's not raining anything. It's a clear night. Um, there's actually light light around it because it's on the bypass, like right outside of Starkville, so you know it's easy to see, so I get over um, on the right side. And as soon as I get to the right side, I kind of look out my left window and I am like staring like eye to eye with this huge buck. Oh my God. That had just, I guess the 18 wheeler had clipped him or something because he was like sitting down. And I just remember like literally looking in his eyes and seeing like his antlers and just being kind of like holy fuck but he was in the left lane the lane that I was just in but something was like niggling at me to say 
you need to be in the right lane. Oh, wow. And as soon as I did that. But it's just like when you're that close to something and you're like fucking looking them in the eyes. Again, it's just like it gave me good. I just like drove home like a zombie. Like (laughs) I could have died. I could have died. Because, I mean, hitting deer. Um, it's like, like a normal thing. And I've had acquaintances that have been killed Mm. by deers coming through or deer coming through their windshield, um, and stuff. So, so just really weird shit like that has happened to me. And of course, um, (laughs) not, you know, divine intervention aside, other back road stories. Um, there's a one that Chad, laughs at me about because when we were first dating we went to tunica mississippi which is where they have like the casinos on the river and mississippi river and stuff and um we are coming back home to starkville and uh if there was there's a lot of traffic for whatever reason there and so we're like oh we'll go this different way this is like a new way that looks paved and this is before cell phones this is for G- gps this is like you had a map and i don't even think we had a map but our thing was like you know we'll just we're on the western part of mississippi we need to get the eastern part of mississippi so we will just head east and we know that we're going east because the sun's over there and it's setting. Hey. So I know if like, you know, so this is how we got around a lot of times. And um, and so I was like, so we're going to take this road. So we take this brand new road. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we're doing good. It's on this nice new paved road. And we end up in like going by some houses. And I swear there was like 20 children outside like of all different ages. And when we like drove past them, they all stopped and like turned around and stared at us. Um. And, and Chad was like, what the fuck? And I was like, I, thing I, told so I, I, I know I just pictured children and I, slowly turning. Like, that's what it was. Everybody's oh fucking stopped. <laughs> And like just stared at us driving by. I was like, I'm just gonna keep going. Ah. I'm just gonna. And Chad's like, Yeah, just keep going. So we keep going. So we're going, and the the nice road ends up like going into like a normal road, and then the normal road ends up to a crappier road, and then the crappier road ends up going into a dirt road, and uh, or a gravel road. And so, um. At that point, we had already been traveling like 30 minutes or something. And, and we're young and we're dumb. And we're, instead of like turning around, because we don't really want to go back by Children of the Corn, uh, <laughs> we, we keep driving. And we end up, it's like I almost blink. I really don't even know how we got there. We end up and we're dri- literally driving in this cotton field. Ah! Like there's cotton growing oh here, God. cotton growing. And we're like on this farm road. And I'm like, are we on somebody's property? Yeah. And I was, we, I was like, oh no, just keep going. Just keep going. So we keep going. We keep going. Oh my God. And I'm like, Fuck, <laughs> where are we? And I was like, and Chad's just like, keep going east. And, you know, we're going to hit something sooner or later. Just keep going east. So about this time, the sun is kind of setting and oh, it's no. getting low. Oh, and so we're like, okay, the sun was back there. We haven't done any major turning. So we think we're good. And that road ends and it's like we pull up this hill and we get on like there's actually an asphalt road but it was still kind of like janky and we're in this neighborhood 
And we're like, okay, good. And so we start looking around and there are houses with like two or three or four or five cars parked in front of each house. Everybody's on the front porch. There's like, I feel like everybody, like we're on a block party almost, (laughs) but everybody is like sitting on their car or on their porch. Um, I feel like, you know, I didn't see any, but I seriously like felt like, you know, there were guns and things mm-hmm. like it was like really kind of what the fuck. And we are doing like 15, 20 miles an hour, like through this neighborhood. We're going, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> and I was thinking maybe I'll just stop and ask somebody like how to get on the highway. And then, you know, as soon as I think that I'll look over, I'm like, fuck, no, fuck, no, <laughs> just keep driving. Chess like, what the fuck? Don't make eye contact. What the fuck? <laughs> and about that time. We, we go to the end of this um neighborhood road and we go up and we're finally on a fucking highway oh. and we get home but it's like the most crazy like Alice in Wonderland adventure <laughs> being lost in the delta like that it's just crazy and, and this is the stuff like you don't much do that nowadays because you've got like 14 oh, yeah. gps's but you know back in the day if you didn't like study a map to kind of know where things were you just kind of guessed and see what had happened it happened to me <laughs> trying to avoid an interstate like crash back yeah. up mm-hmm. coming home from the beach with my cousin crystal two years ago and these people i didn't know that who came with her I led them off onto the, <laughs> and they had a brand new car, and it oh. was Chert Rock Roads, mm-hmm. and I don't even know where the hell we were, and I was like, I kept going, I'm sorry, this is what the GPS <laughs> says going. to do to avoid this uh, traffic jam. I yeah. mean, it was some sketch like that, you know, yeah, South Alabama sketch. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> but I mean, it's a great, if you survive it, it's, survive. A, oh. it's a great story to tell, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. So that was that was my kind of Twilight Zone opening to every horror film. It felt like experience back in the day. Um, but you, know, really- you told me that story like one. I didn't even know you very well, but you and I were driving. You drove me to a um, an art opening in Talladega or something mm-hmm. like that. Oh, yes, I remember and that. And you told me that story on that drive, and yes. but without the, I don't think you told me the children of the corn part. Yeah, no. I just remember the driving through the cotton field part. It was like, oh, yes. oh I thought of Talladega when she was telling that story. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I have been on some scary roads in Talladega County before. Uh, oh, my goodness. I thought you had a bird story, so you haven't told that then. Mm, no, I, I okay. haven't told the bird story. No, I made that but, up in my head. <laughs> maybe it was There's the owl. Story. Was there the was an owl story where it swooped down on me? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That that was yeah. Okay, maybe that's the one I was thinking. That was yeah. Where again, leaving? I don't know what it is about Starfield. Leaving Starfield, yeah, I had the God. big owl like cross my path and look at me in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You told that. I told one when that you one. Did Lalachusa, yeah, I, I did that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I was remembering. Okay, that's good. What it, that's what it was. But I'm yes. Oh, you've got so many good stories. I know. I, know. I got none. Oh you my got all gosh. these amazing stories. Man, I got into so much shit. <laughs> I can't but anyway, <laughs> Courtney's like, all. I've got. Without implicating myself in many <laughs> people. The fifth. Uh, but this BuzzFeed article, um, it's by Alex Porte or Porte. Uh, and it's what's the creepiest, most paranormal thing that you've seen on the road at night? Mm. And here's a couple of those stories. So I went on, 
she got these from Reddit, and so I oh, went on Reddit, and uh, it's pretty good stuff. <laughs> so talking about like divine intervention, um, this is from S. Craig. He said, my grandfather was in the Air Force, and one night he was driving to the base, maybe, and he saw a woman standing on the side of the road in a long white dress at about 2 a.m., he circled back to ask if she needed help, and she was nowhere to be seen. He searched for her, and about an hour before giving up, decided to leave it alone. Um, oh, he searched for her for about an hour and then gave up and decided to leave it alone. Uh, when he decided to go on his way, he felt this strong feeling that he needed to switch lanes. Mm. And he was on the road alone in the middle of the night, so he had no idea why. And just ahead of the road, there was this broken down truck with no hazards on oh my God. that he would have hit and probably oh killed by if he had stayed in that lane. Um that he had been in, that he had been in, and to this day he's convinced that the woman was trying to warn him, like an omen or something. Oh, weird! And when I read that, I was like, "Oh yeah, that is totally just like the story when my windshield wiper flew off, and wow. there was just a gut feeling." And I tell you, those gut feelings when I'm driving, I totally like, I, I go with. Same here. I just drove to Noonan, Georgia, this week, and. When I get panicked, like, oh, I'm, this is, everything's going too slow, or I'm going to be late, or, and I, sometimes I have to tell myself, like, no, you're at the right place at the right time. Follow your instinct. Don't, like, try to get ahead of yourself. Right. Don't let other people uh -uh. push you. Exactly. Yeah. I tell myself that a lot when I'm driving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or maybe something else tells me. Right. Right. Don't yeah. push it, because you'll get in a wreck, or there's something up ahead. You need to be slower, because you don't know what's going to happen. I did. You yeah. did that too? Yeah. Okay, I thought I, that was just uh, me. No. I just, I, I have a lot of road rage. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just pass no. people for no good reason. Other well, than that because I drive slower than me. Because I drive slower. Yeah. And I usually have a lot of people on my ass. Yeah. And so I have to, like, really, um, I have to say, look, I am in control of my vehicle and I cannot let anybody dictate to me how fast I should be going. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's their problem. And I have a good karma story that I'll share with y'all oh, in sure. the after <laughs> It's like one of those great ones where somebody's like on your ass and then mm -hmm. they get there. Finally too. get to see them get pulled over. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love those. Okay. So <laughs> here is another one. And this is by the gargoyle moniker. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, he was driving to, or they were driving to Virginia Beach, and it was 3 a.m. in the morning in the middle of bumfuck nowhere mm -hmm. between Roanoke and D.C., absolutely nobody around. This mm -hmm. person was cruising in the left lane simply because nobody else was around. Um, no headlights for the past hour, no taillights either, no road lamps either. It was really dark. It was like pretty like damp and foggy, misty night. They had their music up. They were feeling good. It was kind of like that good traveling time. Um, they were just cruising. And he said he happened, or they happened to look to the left, and he said there was a fucking dog barking at him on his left side, like a German shepherd in this car in the passenger seat. And it was somewhat like a blue glow, like from the instruments of the inside of the car that he was seeing bounce off the dog. And he says he's got his face in the window. He's barking his head off of me. Um, you know, he's like, I get this really good hard look at it, too, because at first my, you know, his brain's registering or not registering that this is like a cop car dummy. Oh. And he was doing blue. 
because of the blue and he was thinking yeah he he was doing like 90 plus miles an hour on the 75 so it like prompted an oh shit moment um when he like registered the dog and the instruments and the white crown vic um and all of that so you know he put his foot on the brakes and started to slow down hard but safely and he pulled over um he said he even put his blinker on it's like you know you see the cop it's like you do all the right things right you know you pull over turn the blinker on and he gets you know over on the right saint uh right lane to pull over but um he he looked at the shoulder and he noticed that all to the left of the left lane that he was in there was no shoulder Mm. And so, you know, he looked back to his left. He's like, there was no shoulder, no room for another car. And it was just gone. There was no trace of a car anywhere. He slammed on his brakes, uh, stopped in the middle of the fucking highway. You know, he flipped on all of his lights and he looked around. I said he looked around with a handheld spotlight. He's like, there was nothing there. No taillights, no headlights, no engine sounds, nothing. There was either, there was no tire marks in the damp, but his, um, and, you know, he said he could see, like, a really nice long ways um, to and from. He's like, you know, he had great visibility um, and a lot of extra light. And uh, because he had, like, this SUV with, like, you know, all the light trimmings and stuff. He's like, but there was no possible way that someone could, like, sneak along and drove off that fast on this wet, slopey grass um, on the side, you know, next to the highway not not even on the highway and he was doing 90 plus you know it's hard to do like off-road 90 plus mm-hmm. it was just crazy so he's like yep there he goes ghost cop and his dog didn't like me speeding apparently i'm <laughs> not crazy i was like did he avoid a multi-car pileup? Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> but par- yeah, he could have. Those are the kind of things I think about. Oh no, definitely, <laughs> definitely. There's another story, and this is by Flash D Man. Mm-hmm. Um, these names are so, so funny. Uh, myself and two friends had to drive from Laredo, Texas, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Louisiana, <laughs> Louisiana, one night in my Ford van. It was about 2 a.m. There is a particularly long and dark section of highway just outside Laredo. No buildings, towns, or lights for about 50 miles. I was in the right lane coming up on a truck and pulled out to the left passing lane. As I was slowly overtaking this long truck, my peripheral vision caught a sudden movement of this big truck towards the right shoulder. I saw the truck swerve to avoid hitting a person dressed all in white white face whose arms were folded across their chest and their eyes oh. were closed as they walked right across the highway i swerved to oh the my god i swerved to the left and barely missed this ghostly looking person with my passenger mirror um, and i can still remember seeing that the eyes were closed that's how close we i was to hitting this person so middle of the night this white figure and like the coffin that's like a coffin pose pose right Do you, i wonder if there's like some is like some like spiritual person doing some sort of a test you know, you know well somebody like, somebody in in the comments you know wrote that you know maybe they were like suicidal maybe this person mm. you know was are testing the fates or fuck i don't know oh that's a creepy one Another one by 
Aquatur, Maine. <laughs> a uh, friend of my cousin's was a long haul trucker who was making a delivery across country and was in a in a hardly used dirt stretch of a rural road <laughs> route. Um, since the road wasn't exactly peachy, he had to drive slowly. Uh, he sees another truck slowly approaching from the opposite direction, and he sees the truck was the same as his. Since this isn't fairly uncommon, he didn't think much about it as, you know, the other one grew closer, but he decided to honk in recognition of having the same kind of truck. The other one replies, and all is good. That is, until they narrowly and very slowly had to pass one another, he turned to look at the driver, and he saw himself. Oh, Lord. Oh, my God. Another dimension. Not a reflection. Ah. Not a similar person, but the exact same copy, same clothes, same hat, same red beard staring at him. They passed each other, and oh. that was that. He told me that he had seen very weird things, but that w in that moment, he decided to stop being a trucker. You know why? Why? Because he fucking fell asleep while he was driving. That's I know. Why. <laughs> I don't want to be. You know I love truckers. Yes. Joke, oh, my God. That's scary. Staying awake all night and taking things uh, that make you stay awake. Yeah. Yeah. No. No doubt about Shit. that. But they were, they were talking about, like, when you fall asleep. Because there's another story that I'm not going to go over, but... Um, they they say that when you fall asleep, you tend to, um, or like are about to fall asleep, you tend to hallucinate, mm -hmm. and that is very common to hallucinate like animals mm. and stuff. This is weird. Okay, so I wonder if you see a trucker swerving in the middle of the night. It's like they're probably like, avoiding something that's not there, right? Like yeah. the white, you know, clothed person. Okay, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but two people, you know, swerve. So. Yeah, I was gonna say that. Yeah. One. All right, but the worst thing to me um, on the road is other people. I was just going to yeah. say other cars. And mostly those, sorry to sound sexist, are men. <laughs> All right, so um, this story is by the Hofsteer. The Hofsteer. Hmm. I saw a car stopped on the side of the highway. We hadn't seen a car for a while. It was around 2 a.m. I commented to my buddy, poor bastard. Mm. But as we passed the road, the car lights came on and got back on the road. Odd timing, I thought. And then it was gaining on us. I told my friend to speed up, and he did. He sped more, and the car kept uh, closing in. We were doing about 120 miles an hour, oh my God. and this guy was catching up with us. We saw an exit with a hotel, so we took it and drove right in front of the building where there was well lit, and he could see the front desk clerk. The car got off that exit, too, and it drove into the hotel parking lot, then turned around and got back on the highway. I'll never know what that guy wanted from us. I'm fine with that remaining a mystery. That is so fucking true. The, the, Any time that I've been fucked with on the highway... It's always been like dudes. Uh, uh, it's going to be crazy. Okay. This is from Gozi NYR. I was 23. My newly married husband and I decided that we would have a fun adventure after college. And instead of jumping into the nine to five, they decided to drive trucks. 
(laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know, get in the truck and go across country, right? And on one of the long stretches, uh, it was about 4 a.m., and a guy pulled up next to me and waved to CB. And I never left my own, so listening to, because listening to these guys' BS was irritating. <laughs> I could totally get that. And she says she turned on her CB, and he told me I had a blown tire. And I thanked him, figuring I'd stop at the next truck stop. But he kept harassing me to pull over and check my tire for like a good 40 miles. Mm. I finally got Damn, to... Damn, that's a long time. I finally got to a new town... Um, and a pilot truck stop got out and checked my truck. No blown tires anywhere. No clue what that guy would have done to me, but so glad I trusted my gut and didn't stop. Not a paranormal, but have plenty of stories as a young woman on the road. So, yes. Mm. So, also, a thing about 18-wheeler, they've got like 4 million tires. Yeah. If one blows, they could totally like keep going. And also, if you're in the middle of fucking nowhere and you blow a tire, what you gonna do? You just like run that rim into yeah. the ground. You know? I mean, especially it's not like you've got like a jack that you can push that thing up on. You know, you're not gonna change that. Right. Right. Yes. No. And and so maybe you do. I don't know. Am I wrong? How do you change a tire on an 18 wheeler? I don't know. Have so many. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you have to. to. Those tires you see on the road most of the time are from them. Right. Just the shredded. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they keep going. Not the ones that are driving. Yeah. For the very end. Like the front one. Right. There's two. There's 18. Right. (laughs) (laughs) There's like 16 in the back and then two in the front. (laughs) But I have blown. Those two front ones are important, but. Well, I've, I told y'all the time that I had my tire shot out when I was traveling from Meridian to Columbus when we used to live in Meridian, Mississippi. And I was driving my Jeep, and it was just me and my dog. And I was in the middle of the afternoon. It was hunting season, so I figured that's probably what happened. Some dipshit was hunting too close to the highway. and um, But I heard, I heard it hit my tire, and it blew my tire out. And I know how to change the tire because, you know, that's one of the things that you have to learn if you're going to be a mm-hmm. independent woman on the road, mm-hmm. which at the age of 15, totally, that's what I was. <laughs> you like, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for it. <laughs> so I was, you know, getting it out and I had a truck driver pull over and I'm thinking, oh, fuck. It's like, what do I do? What do I do? And again, before cell phones. So I had my dog with me and I got my dog out and she was mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had her, the dude was bless his heart was as sweet as he could be. He just wanted to help, mm-hmm. but you can't trust people because mm-hmm. it could have not been that way very easily. But he was like, he saw that when he like walked up and I was like, I've got a flat tire. And he's like, well, you want me to help me? I was like, no, it's okay. He's like, I'll help you. He's like, don't, don't worry about it. I got this. But he saw that I went to the opposite side. Like, anytime he went, I was, like, at the opposite side. Because, I mean, I was on, like, this fucking deserted highway where mm-hmm. there's, like, nobody was. And I was very nervous. And he saw that. And he's, like, he's, like, he's like, you just stay over there. That's fine. He's, like, I'm just going to do this here and we'll take care of it. And um, he changed my tire and, you know, uh said a little prayer over me and then you know went on his way and I was like very thankful for him but also don't trust a motherfucker Mm -hmm. you know you you can't um (laughs) 
sorry. I'm just thinking about what you said about prayer earlier. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, well, that, that'll we be in the after talk. <laughs> right. I know, but it makes me feel so bad because I want to believe in the good of all people. I'm not naive. And I had something similar happen to me where I was afraid of somebody helping me on the side of the road and they just wanted to help me. Right. But and I had I th- a cell phone. And, and I, I couldn't, you know. Yeah. And, right. And, and there are, so there are, I think the majority of people, oddly, as much as I hate people right now, <laughs> I think the majority of the people that would stop are, are likely to be people who really would want to help. Right. But, you know, oh, I know. when the stakes are what, They're high. what they are for a 15 year old on a quiet road exactly. by herself in the middle of nowhere, kind right. of, you know, you got to weigh your Well, it's because we're female and, for one and can't right. trust yeah. anybody like man driving on the side Plus, of the road. Plus, if you know me. how to listen, this is a PSA. Right. Wait. Yeah, that's, yeah, right. that's right. PSA. This is a PSA. <laughs> Public service announcement. Yeah. Learn how to change your tires. It's very if easy. If you don't already know. You need to do a little practicing. Yes. And if you have kids who are girls. Yes. Or boys. Or boys, yes. You need to teach them how to change. Courtney looks really? at me like, I mean, no, I know how to, to, but now I have a cell phone and I have USAA and they'll just okay. come do it for, for me. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but you'll be in situations. Somebody, yeah. It, and if somebody, and there are places where you don't get, be in Mentone and try and get your cell phone to work. You know, I mean, like, and there are going to be, and if you know how to do it yourself, then you do not look like a vulnerable person on the side of the road calling for help. You are look like somebody who is already pulling your donut out from underneath. Me to bend like that anymore, though. So I'm and you can, I get that, <laughs> right? I get that. And I'm just you, saying, this is a useful bit yeah, of information. Yeah, no, right? it is. Sure. It is. You, you do know how to do that because you know you never know when that's going to come up. And also, like, if you do have cell and cell service, you can always YouTube it too. Like oh, if, if you don't know, but I would totally like do a practice. I would definitely and learn practice. how to use a tire iron and learn how to live it. Yes. <laughs> learn how to, yeah, learn how to use a tire and Lift learn like there's, there's Lift a, some weights. there's a little you know? bit of like things that you should know. Like you shouldn't just like leave your car like without the tire on. Like there's specific timings where you need to like remove the tire and leave the time that it's without a tire because you don't want the car falling over on top of you mm-hmm. um, on the, you know, in case the jack fills or anything like, like so that. So have your tire so ready, have your tire to, go ready to go. The other one off. Yes. Mm-hmm. And make it quick. Like, you know, NASCAR tire change. Don't drop the bolts. Right. Yes. <laughs> or else your dad's going to go. And if you have, <laughs> no, right. Actually, that's you that goes. Fudge. And, and also like, know that me? like specific cars have like, like my Toyota has a, um, you can't just like use a, um, Oh, you're a rich. regular, uh, tire iron. Cause yeah. it's got like a specific kind of weird pr- proprietary bullshit. What the hell with that? I know. I know. It comes in the car though. Wait, well, the tire. I know, but I'm oh. just like, it, why would you do that though? Like, I know. I, I know. But just know that that's a harder. thing because that's, that shocked me when I was having to change my tire for uh, my Toyota. I think I may have to do a trial run because I haven't actually had to change my tire. And I didn't, when I got my new car, I never tested it. I never looked like I know that there was a jack in there, but I haven't like checked where I'm supposed to. Because you know you got to put the jack in the right place, right? And all that kind of. Oh, stuff. Oh yeah, you, yeah. To, oh, this is good. We're having this conversation yes. so that I can teach my children how to do this. Yes, and also me. Right. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> and Courtney. Sounds good. Okay, the next one is from <laughs> Ace of Spades one six one. Oh, Ace so, of Spades. <laughs> they were. Um, 
driving south on I-75. And this is in Ohio, so this is not necessarily southern, but we'll say okay. Um, because it's it's kind of one of those things that it's just weird. So they were driving uh, south, and they witnessed a compact car, like a coal boat, a cobalt, 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 cobalt. Okay. Compact. Can't say that word. Cobalt. Uh, or similar go on to an on-ramp um, to merge into I-75 north and it lost control. It mm-hmm. went sideways. Then it fell at least six feet Whoa. off the ramp Whoa. onto the shoulder of the interstate, landed on our, all four oh wheels, my God. spun 360, and then proceeded to merge onto traffic like fucking nothing. <laughs> This person said, blew my fucking mind. Oh, my God. <laughs> he said he was on the CB radio going, he said the CB radio was going fucking nuts for like five <laughs> minutes going, holy shit, who else just fucking saw that? <laughs> That's amazing. That seems less believe- believable than any story you've oh told about God, a ghost or anything else. Like, oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> TV oh. movie stuff, right? chase scene. You know that person in that cobalt car is like telling the same story from a different point <laughs> like, of view. You for the just rest not believe this driving clinic that I pulled. <laughs> I'll teach you that stuff. This is from Biff McGee. <laughs> <laughs> hey. We love you, Biff McGee. <laughs> <laughs> they said, um, I drove by Marsh every night when I was going home from work. One night I saw a car pulled over. With hazards on, the dude was head to toe covered in blood. <gasps> no crash, no injury, just covered in blood. And uh, so that was kind of like a what the fuck. So I started the comments on all of these stories. Me. Was that the end of the story? Was that was the end a, of the story. What the fuck, so man? so all of like the the comments on this like <laughs> you have to read the comments on all these because me? everybody like kind of you know says their piece and there's this comment underneath it from Al B ninety two. He said when my father was younger. They had a few animals. When they took them to get slaughtered, they would bring back meat for personal use. The rest was sold. And a few buckets of blood for a few different uses like blood pudding. One day, my uncle had to break hard due to animals running (gasps) across the road. No crash, no injury, but he ended up being covered in blood inside a car. looked like a gruesome murder scene. (laughs) So it was like explaining exactly. my uncle is what I'm telling you. (laughs) Exactly. That was probably his uncle. (laughs) Another fun thing from Charlie24601 said, A friend of mine was (laughs) staffing at a, a LARP which is a live action role playing, right? Mm-hmm. And the LARP was being held at this camp that they rented for the weekend. She and a bunch of others were donning ropes, rope, not ropes, robes 
playing necromancers or cultists or something. Well, apparently a truckload of beard up teenagers had decided to visit the camp to party in the woods. <laughs> they were barreling down the dirt road when they came upon the group of robe cultist larpers. <laughs> they slammed on the brakes and my friend heard people screaming from the cab. Holy shit, get the fuck out of here. Go, go, go. <laughs> he said the truck tore out of there faster than they came in and he always wondered what those people thought was going on <laughs> and if they ever um you know and if they'll ever see their post on one of these threads <laughs> that's great i love that larp larp uh this is from unknown nay nadad i'm not a trucker but my cousin was for a short stint and a lion ran out in front of him Nuh-uh. when he had to, when he got out to to pee. <laughs> <laughs> he, ca- he called his mom and asked, and she asked if he was high. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. He denied it and said, a fucking lion ran out in front of me, I'm telling you. <laughs> a few days later, the news revealed that animals had escaped from a local zoo. Oh, my God. Uh, that he was near, including a lion. <laughs> fuck. That kind of scares the fuck out of me. Well, we got, like, mountain lions and shit. Yeah. We got enough. We got bears now. Oh, yeah. We got bears. <laughs> bears and lions and tigers. Oh, my. So this is from uh, Huey214. I saw a baboon (laughs) in San Saba, Texas, crouched down next to the road. He lifted something to his mouth, and I saw nothing but fangs. So uh, it was so out of place, it gave me goosebumps. Uh, One of the locals explained that a lot of fake ranchers will keep exotic animals, and when they grow aggressive or go into heat, they'll just cut them loose. That is stupid. And fucked up. And if I saw baboons are fucking dangerous. Oh, they're scary. Yes. They're scary. Yes. All this happens. I mean, have we seen the Tiger King? Yes. We know, shit we know <laughs> that the crazy now, people why are would you, exotic why animals would you get and let something them go. That's an, exotic animals are expensive to acquire. So why would you get something Because they're expensive like that? to keep. Oh. Mm-hmm. You didn't watch Tiger King, obviously. No, I didn't. I didn't watch they Tiger cost. King. Did you not watch Tiger they King? I never watched a single thousands one. and thousands and thousands of dollars. Why? Should I watch? It? Yeah, oh my god! Yeah, I mean, it's well, a, cult, I it's I a cultural experience. Your story. I it mean, is you a, told me everything. <laughs> I, I, you cannot. I, people cannot I convey <laughs> the level of Tiger King. But this part is, of it is how of much things. they cost to keep. Yeah. And yeah. part of that's the big. You know, it's oh one of the sad. Oh, that's of one of the it, reasons yeah. that. Oh my God! There's up. gonna be like, 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 like herds of feral baboons in Texas, right? They're <gasps> they would release them, and it happened in a couple. Was it not in Texas? Yeah, it may have been in Texas, but also it's also the reason that that fucked up doctor jackass that was like acting he was king of the world um with that they interviewed and, yeah with all of his yeah. concubines riding the fucking elephant everywhere yeah. um I'm he telling you exactly. he killed Whoa. he he would force his okay. tigers to mate mm-hmm. and kept his tigers in heat so they kept producing and he would keep the baby cubs and then once they reached a certain age he would kill them 
What? Because they cost too much to feed. Because it costs but too much they make to feed. So much money when they're little. Yep. Because the people f- are awful. Oh, it's oh, bad. he is awful. Oh, see, I don't know. All if those people watch are awful. This show, You've got to. Yeah, it is a cultural it, phenomenon. I know. It's, it's one of those that I'm like, I'm not going to understand fully <sighs> until like five years after it got released. Yeah, that's how I roll. It's something. Hey, it was quarantine. What are you going to do? But again, I know how much they cost and why people would have these animals to make money up front and then realize how much they cost and then let them run wild. Right. That's fucked up. No. Mm -hmm. Keep your baboons. What are they going to do? Tell, like, the police? I mean, they'd get in your trouble. Yeah. Okay. So this next guy, this is Marauder. 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 Mm. I remember being at a barbershop with my grandpa way back when and one of the truckers told a story about traveling through florida at night he said that he hadn't seen anywhere to stop and finally had to pull over on the side of the road to pee a state trooper pulled up and told him it was dangerous to be stopping in the area and then turned his floodlights and flashed it out into the dark oh god the trucker said that dozens of eyes from alligators flashed back (laughs) back in the light and he quickly jumped back into his truck and did not stop anywhere like that down there ever again Oh my God! No, oh yeah. no! Don't shine your lights at night. Mm. Just don't get out in the swamp. And this don't get out in the swamp. This is Elgin '88. A few years ago, an animal rights activist managed to release thousands of mink from a farm next to a large road at night. The road was more (gasps) blood than tarmac for miles. Remains were everywhere. And don't even get me started on the smell. Oh, You were trying to do a good thing, but it just wasn't well thought Mm, out. No. Free the mink so that they can just get smashed by cars. That's so bad. (laughs) This is from Mythical Pumpkin. Oh, fuck. Uh, This actually happened the other day in a random country road in Tennessee. It was pitch black darkness, and the only thing around was fields, hills, and me. Didn't see any houses. Anyway, I was getting really tired since the day before... I just flew from Washington to Atlanta. I was driving from Atlanta to northern Indiana, and out of nowhere, I see a dog in the grass. And normally, this is fine, but its eyes weren't glowing from my headlights, which was some reason made me feel really uneasy. The next thing I know, it charged for my tire of my trailer, snarling and barking. Thank God I didn't hit it, and I looked back, and it was gone. And as bad as it sounds, if I did hit it, I probably wouldn't have stopped because it was in the middle of nowhere and no cell service. I've heard stories of people finding some way to get people to stop in on their commute in the middle of nowhere just to rob, hurt, or kill them. And, but it was a dog. But it was a dog. Did you grow up in the country? <laughs> yes, obviously I, not. Obviously not. Those t- Tire grabbing dogs are everywhere. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and they'll chase you on your bike. Obsessed. On everywhere. So they were afraid of the dog. So they were afraid of the dog. Um, oh and wow! Didn't they stop. really did not know about the country. <laughs> and dogs. This. It's not the, okay. I call bullshit on that. One. Yeah, I'm thinking bullshit too. Also, why would you fly from Washington to Atlanta to, to drive, drive to, to Indiana, Indiana with a trailer? Well, they might have been moving. They could have been. Then again, that could have makes been it more likely to be true because who's going to believe that bullshit? Right. 
This okay. is Lucky Luciano 19. Oh, really? Gangsta. <laughs> My mom's sister and I were on our way to a baseball game of mine during junior year of high school. The main road we took stretched about 35 miles. There was nothing but cornfields and tree lines. We hit a stretch of road that was super foggy for no reason. So my mom slowed down to a proper speed. Mm. <laughs> we finally reached the end of the fog and we all looked to the left to see where we were. And about 50 yards from the road was a man and a woman in what appeared to be a wedding, wedding clothing from at least 100 years ago. The man was wearing a big top hat and the woman was wearing very old looking white dress holding hands with their backs to us, walking towards the wood line. We drove past, and I just remember the silence in the car until my mom said, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> Till this day, whenever we're together and one of us tells the story, we all get goosebumps. Mm. And this last one is from Jim, Jim Bob Paul. Jim Bob Paul. That's <laughs> not... Okay. Uh... A good friend of mine told me this story years ago. He's the stereotypical old, big, bad trucker. He's, I've seen some weird stuff with him while driving in South Texas along the border. He never batted an eye, but will still tell me the story. He has, he's had goosebumps and concerned expression. Okay. Bad sentence. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which from this guy is about the equivalent of a trembling lip and shit stained pants. Mm. I'll tell the story in first person as he told me. Years ago in the late 90s, I was on my way home from the house, Central Texas, headed towards Laredo. What the fuck is up with Laredo? Mm. Um, to pick up a load. Uh, it was early morning, around four or five, and I'd just come off a string of days at home. So I know I wasn't tired. I am on one of those two-lane windy roads in the absolute middle of bumfuck nowhere when I see something on the side of the road at the edge of my high beams. At first, I just thought it was roadkill, as it usually is the case. As I get closer, I see that it is roadkill and there's someone crouching over the deer oh, carcass. No. I remember thinking either this guy's taking the antlers as a trophy or he's fucking sick. As I got closer still, I can see that this guy is eating the fucking deer. He is pulling chunks of meat from the stomach and bringing them up to his face. At this point, he stops mid-motion and looks up at me. Not at my truck, but at me. He, it, stands up. And that's the one I see that is a fucking huge, huge and brown and covered in hair. Uh -oh. I remember thinking at this point, oh, fuck. This thing is standing on the tiny shoulder looking at me. And by this point, maybe three seconds have passed. And I'm about to point. I'm about to a point in the road that he's standing at. I didn't even think of stopping. In fact, I started to lay on it and get the hell out of there. As I'm passing it, it looks at me, not at the truck. It's looking through the driver's side windshield at me. He obviously has the intelligence to know that there's a driver in there and knows that where I'm sitting. As I start to pass him, I can see its head above the hood of an old Neil Nose Pete. Old trucks designed that were where the hoods go 
yeah, straight out from the windshield, known for being tall and difficult to see around. This thing is a fucking giant. I remember seeing um, what looked like human intelligence in his eyes, and it scared the shit out of me. Mm. He's talking about those big square mm. trucks, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's what that's what I saw. Like it looked like a big box that you can, yeah, yeah. And that's the end of my story. Mm. I think that was Sasquatch. Things mm-hmm. on the road. Bigfoot. That mm. one was creepy. Skunk yeah. ape. Skunk ape. Skunk ape. And down in Laredo. Laredo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was like um, Skinwalker. Oh, God. That, that one still that hits me. I can't take yeah. that. That story that you told, uh, that one stays with me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So there we go. <laughs> If you have any like strange, spooky, like on the road stories, mm. definitely email them to us and let us know about them. Stories at the strange south. Stories at the strange south.com. Well, thanks y'all for listening. We appreciate you so much. Bye. Bye.